The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 622 for May 13th, 2018. All the news out of Google I.O., the deadline looms for the FCC's restoring internet freedom order, and Microsoft wants to be platform agnostic with new tools to help manage your smartphone. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. First in the news, Google I.O. taking place this week. Dozens of announcements and updates from both Google and their partners. First up, Google improving its Google Assistant with the addition of new voices. The original Assistant was based on a single voice named Holly. Moving forward, Assistant will be available to a variety of new voices, including both male and female. They've also partnered with music legend John Legend to provide an additional voice. Legend's voice will arrive for certain interactions later this year. Google said the other new voices will be available soon. And along with the new voices, Google is bringing more visual feedback to Google Assistant on phones. So moving forward, Google will display more information on the screen rather than just in a spoken response. For example, when people perform a Google search, Assistant will show photos, Wikipedia entries, and other information in a more visually helpful way. Assistant is also going to power food orders. So Google has partnered with Domino's, Starbucks, Applebee's, Panera, and Dunkin' uh, for voice-based ordering. When people ask Assistant to order their usual drink at Starbucks, Assistant will confirm the drink, confirm the store, and the order will be placed for pickup. It will also provide mapping information, and Google says this feature will be rolling out slowly over the next few months. Now, regarding new features, Google announcing Duplex. This is a new bot-based tool that uses Google Assistant over phone calls. The Assistant can hold a full conversation with a real person over the phone to do such things as a booking of an appointment. And in an example Google provided at the conference, Assistant called a salon to make an appointment for a haircut. Assistant was able to understand and respond to the human at the salon in a natural way to schedule the appointment. Google says it's going to be rolled out for testing in the near future, and they envision it to be the ultimate assistant, an automated tool for use in many mundane tasks. So I saw that uh, video of this particular exchange on the local morning news, but I didn't hear the very beginning part of the story. So I'm, you know, they're playing this exchange between the, the person and the uh, the real person and the person booking the appointment, and I'm like. I didn't understand what the story was about until, you know, the, they were done with that. And I'm like, that was a computer. Oh, now I get it. And it was very convincing. Yeah. And obviously this is a, a very interesting thing that they're trying to roll out. And uh, there was a little bit of, you know, questioning as this went through uh, the couple of days after the announcement happened on whether or not Google was going to be forthright in the fact that they were indeed bots that were calling these real locations in order to, for these things to happen. And they said that indeed there would be some sort of prompt or preemptive uh, commentary that happened before uh, the interaction started to uh you know, to let the person on the other end of the line know that this was indeed coming through, uh, you know, this this service. And so I think that is is a pretty interesting, you know, way that thing that is going to have to be dealt with. And and ultimately there are it could be all sorts of different you know issues that could come up with this. But it is kind of neat to say, you know, I just want to order whatever uh, or set an appointment or do whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, hey, I need to get a haircut and, you know, it calls the place and it does it all for you. It's it's pretty, a pretty interesting tool. I can see this on the other side where you've got somebody, uh, businesses who can take advantage of this kind of thing where the person, the, the phone picks up and a, 
you know, a reservation is made, an appointment is made, whatever, and you've got two bots talking to each other. Uh, and ultimately, you know, they, they figure it out on their own. So pretty interesting stuff, very futuristic feeling. And um, obviously from Google, uh, you know, not, uh, not a surprise that they're the ones who rolled it out. Now, on the news side, Google has refreshed its news product with new features powered by AI. News will scan everything on the web and match what it finds with user preferences and favorite sources to create new summaries and suggestions. The goal is to help keep people up with the news they care about, understanding the full story, and supporting the news sources they enjoy. The revised application will bring more imagery and video uh, to uh, the, uh, the foreground and rely less on text on the screen. The app was built uh, to compile, uh, or excuse me, the app was built with material design with an entirely entirely new look, building on a newscast, which offers previews of stories and subjects in a scrollable format. And Google says they'll also be able to compile and personalize these features based on users' behavior over time. Users won't have to train news manually. The full coverage tool ensures people will find all the relevant sources for a single story in order to help provide a the best perspective. Uh, Google News will also support Google News Stand, helping people follow publications and periodicals they prefer. News uh, makes subscribing to publishers easy with Subscribe with Google, and allows people to access their paid content anywhere uh, across platforms and devices. Google has worked with 60 publishers to make it possible, and they say the Google News application for Android and iOS is available now. It is interesting. We went from you know a system, whatever this was, you know, 10 years ago up until about three or four years ago called Google Reader, uh, which was a very, I'll just say, basic RSS feed reader, and ultimately that went away, and most people have transitioned over to Feedly. But now there's these these services like what Google is doing and Apple News is a similar one uh, where it's it's coming back and it's putting together this compilation of news for you. Uh, and Google is, I think, taking it to the next level and saying, all right, let's put together you know what we think this user is going to be most interested in. Obviously, they've got all sorts of data based on the algorithms that they have from your, your searches, your web history, all of that. And so they can provide you a pretty comprehensive and robust set of news in order for you to feel like you're getting everything that you need all in one place. Yeah, you know what, but I don't like these algorithms and I don't like being uh, handed the news in this fashion because it's, I, you know, I've even looked through, you know, Apple News occasionally. I don't use it regularly because I don't, I don't like it. I want to see the, you know, the RSS feeds where it's basically every story they publish on this particular feed and it, they're all unfiltered and they're all, un, you know, targeted towards you. And I, I I think you know you can be you can become more biased. You can become more influenced by these things, and I I don't think it's a good idea really to read news in this fashion. Well, there's no doubt that is the case, and you know especially when it takes the you know all of the news you know from or it takes the news from the various sources that you're reading, and there are going to be things that are similar between them. And you know maybe you're reading, and I'm going to pick a couple of different stories, and not to pick on these publications, but maybe you're reading the Washington Post, the New York Times. Uh, and NPR on a regular basis. And while you might feel like you've got a, a pretty well-rounded, you know, uh, series of, of news, uh, pieces of news that are coming at you, you're, you're really seeing uh, in many ways a, a very liberal view of how things are versus reading, we'll just say Fox News and, you know, some other sites. And I, I, I wonder, to your point, if that's going to, you know, cause even more bias to be created, because I think there's um, I think there's something to be said for looking at all these sources on your own. And uh, at least if you know, if you're not reading everything, at least seeing uh, what else is being published by those by the periodicals. 
Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you got to think about what, what what's in it for them here. They're not uh, just, you're not paying for the service. So they are selling ads again. And how do they get uh, more ad revenue is by selling more uh, views. And then they want you to view more and be more addicted to it. And that's why it's not something that you should trust for, for a new source. I mean, you can obviously use it, but you have to keep in mind if you are that it's not uh, it's not unbiased. Right. And it's it's more for entertainment purposes than anything. And, and it's just keep it to your point. Keep that in mind. Uh, moving on into the main star of the show, Google P, uh, excuse me, Android P, Google revealing <clears throat> more details about its next generation operating system in Android P, including that the OS introduces new system navigation that is gesture based. Swiping up, for example, opens a multitasking view combined with app suggestions. This swiping gesture works from within any app on the phone. Scrolling the new home button sideways makes it simpler to see recent apps. Uh, new controls make adjusting media and ringer volume levels simpler with on-screen bars that appear next to the hardware buttons. An adaptive battery tool should help reduce CPU app wake-ups by 30% to help conserve power. The new adaptive brightness tool should be more effective at controlling screen brightness in another way to help to keep battery life from draining. And a feature called App Actions based on an XML helps predict actions from within certain applications and provide deep links into those apps. And then there's a tool called Slices based on a new API. It can surface relevant information in searches based on installed apps. So for example, when searching for Lyft, Google Search will tap on into the installed app with information of the closest Lyft car, estimated arrival, and more. App Actions and Slices will be made available to developers beginning next month. Uh, the final tent poll for Android P concerns well-being. The idea is to help people use their phones less to improve their quality of life. So, for example, Android P will start showing a dashboard detailing how people use their device, such as notifications, time spent on certain apps, and how many times they've unlocked their phone. Developers will be able to take advantage of the dashboard and help people understand how they are using their phone. You can set time limits for applications, even gray out app icons once a limit has been reached. Improvements to Do Not Disturb mode will reduce distractions thanks to new gestures called shush. Uh, when you turn your phone over on a table, when it will silence pings, vibrations, and all distractions, it will still allow whitelisted contacts to get in touch, uh, even though the phone is in that do not disturb mode. Uh, wind down mode relies on Google Assistant to help people put their phone down. It grays out the screen at a predetermined time to coax people to stop using their phone. The public beta of Android P is available from Google today. It can be installed on Pixel devices. The full release of Android P is expected to arrive later in the fall. And with that first public beta, for the first time, they also have started offering it to non-Google branded phones. While, of course, available, as I just mentioned, for the Google Pixel phones, Android P beta will be available for the Sony Xperia Z, or excuse me, XZ2, the Xiaomi Mi, or Mi Mix 2S, Nokia 7 Plus, Oppo R15 Pro, Vivo X21, OnePlus 6, and Essential PH-1. People interested in testing Android P will need to register with the Android beta program. Of course, that is free to do. So interesting stuff here. Obviously, the, the latest operating system from Android, you know, adding in a number of features that uh, certainly will uh, take us through and take them through the next year. Right. It's an amazing set of features that could, uh, you know, that I see this as more differentiating from iOS than uh, some of the stuff in years past. A lot of times there's some copying. Of course, they're doing a little bit with the swiping up for the multi-view. You know, that's kind of a, you know, iPhone 10-ish. But 
and, and of course, that's the, the reason for that is because hardware manufacturers are copying the design. So they basically have no choice but to put that in because all the manufacturers are like, we need to get rid of a button uh, and we need another gesture to do this more appropriately. But, um, you know, the, the, it seems like the OSs are starting to diverge a little bit more than we've seen in the past. And that's actually... Um, you know, it's, it's good and bad because then it becomes harder to switch uh, between different, uh, you know, between Android and iOS. But it's also good because uh, maybe uh, the features will become actually more user friendly on uh, Android side. Yeah, push the innovation as well. Obviously, one group does something, the other group is going to try and figure out uh, other things that they can do. Well, let's talk a little bit about how the phones are going to get this new operating system. Google has provided more visibility into its project Trouble, meant to accelerate the rate at which phones are upgraded to the newest versions of Android. Google is working directly with Qualcomm, MediaTek, and Samsung to improve how phones handle major updates. They explain that they've been collaborating closely with the silicon makers because that's what the where the journey of making an Android device begins. Phones can't be updated where the core silicon doesn't support the newest build, which means the processor makers need to up- update their platforms for chips as the first step in the process. Qualcomm says it's always been able to optimize its software on the Snapdragon 845, 660, and 630 mobile platforms, and uh, phones that rely on those processors will fully support Android P when the software platform launches later this year. They said the software commonly referred to as the board support package contains not only the specific chip, uh, specific vendor information, chip specific vendor implementations, but also the Android open source project and pieces of the framework that are missing. Uh, So Project Trouble makes it possible for the newer uh, AOSP frameworks to run on older chips because it reduces the need for older components to support each Android release. Silicon manufacturers have to do all this just once rather than every time there's a new release of Android. Another issue is the timing between the release of Android, the phones, and the chips inside the phones. So Google says it is common for phones to ship with older versions because of the possibility of bugs that can interfere with the retail availability. For OEMs who target the holiday season, it's often safer to launch with an older uh, board support package with a year-old even uh, or older Android version that is known as being stable and compatible. Uh, Google says this uh, this launch um, will th- this pace will change, and they say at the heart the slow uptick, and even on the flagship devices, they're working with them. Uh, to make sure that Android P's um, software is ready for the silicon in advance of the platform. Uh, Google says Qualcomm, MediaTek, and Samsung will be able to introduce P for their silicon faster than ever before, which will in turn lead to quicker system updates for the end users. And uh, this is why Google is able to bring Android P developer to phones other than its own Pixel devices. So why didn't they do this years ago? This just seems like this. they would have been doing this basically from the beginning of of Android, and especially when, you know, they started realizing, you know, updates were falling way behind in the gingerbread era. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make any sense, but, it, you know, obviously this is the way that uh, it's gone with, uh, you know, the, when you have one group making the software and lots of other ones making the hardware. So, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's uh, good news to see, I guess, that we're going to be getting quicker updates on the Android side. Uh, on other software, Google made several changes to its Google Lens visual search tool. First, it added the Google Lens directly to the camera app of Pixel phones. Several other phone makers, including LG, Motorola, Nokia, Xiaomi, Asus, and Sony, will add Lens to their camera apps as well. 
With Lens, Google is relying on machine learning to help power Google searches based on what the camera sees. Google is baking in more searching and shopping tools into Lens, making it easier for people to discover where they can buy items from, such as clothing, with a function called Style Match. A feature called Real-Time Results provides instant search results as people move their camera over items. It scans text, images, and other data points to search things such as concert posters, books, and such. Uh, The results offer links to more information, including videos and images, as well as places to purchase. Uh, Google says the update will reach Google Lens on the Pixel in the next few weeks. The OEM partners have not specified exactly when they'll update their own camera apps with Lens. Regarding Maps, Google said it's adding Google Assistant to Google Maps to make it more uh, accurate and helpful. A new tab called For You provides information about neighborhoods people live in or care about. It offers suggestions for activities, tools for finding restaurants, and other personalized recommendations via a new feature called Your match. The third feature helps people plan group outings. A long press of place cards saves them on a shareable message thread where people can view places and vote on where to go. The new focus of small businesses helps people keep tabs on their local stores are doing, where their hours are, and sales that are available. Finally, Google is adding computer vision tools to maps that taps into the camera to help people find their exact location on a map without proper with proper orientation and a map overlaid on the photo. Google calls this VPS, or Visual positioning system. Google is also tapping into the power of Google Lens to provide information cards based on what the camera sees. These features are coming to Google Maps for both Android and iOS later this summer. Now, on the wearable side, Google is offering developers a new build of Wear OS for select Android smartwatches. The update chiefly uh, installs the actions on on Google feature actions on Google feature that Google announced earlier this month, but it also introduces more power-related enhancements and a dedicated battery saver mode. Google's added support for actions on Wear OS so developers can surface dialog boxes and adopt new ways to display dynamic content. Google Assistant on Wear OS now supports visual cards, follows uh, on follow-on suggestions, and text-to-speech. The new enhanced battery saver mode will automatically display a power-efficient watch face and turn off services such as radios, the touchscreen, and tilt to wake. Owners can get uh, the time by pressing the side button while a long press will wake the watch back to full power mode. Developers can use new tools to ensure their apps don't interrupt the enhanced battery saver mode. The new Wear OS offers developers new ways to limit background and foreground services. Health and fitness applications, for example, will often need to run in the background while occasionally offering foreground services such as alarms. The Wear OS uh, helps developers find the proper balance. Google has gotten rid of one feature in the platform where and that was the behavior that turned off the Wi-Fi radio when Bluetooth was disconnected. Uh, Google also rolled out the feature, uh, rolled back this feature after listening to developer feedback from the first Wear OS preview. Google says developer previews include uh, an updated Android emulator in the images on a downloadable system image for Huawei Watch 2 and Huawei Watch 2 Classic. The preview release is intended for developers only and not for consumer use. Moving away from I.O. and back to the ZTE saga. In a glimmer of hope for the Chinese phone maker, the Taiwanese government has given MediaTek, a Taiwan-based supplier of mobile chips, the permission to sell again to its products to ZTE. After the U.S. government halted U.S. suppliers from selling to ZTE for a period of seven years, the government of Taiwan paused such exports to its own country. It required MediaTek and other Taiwan-based businesses to file an application for permission to sell to ZTE. Taiwan granted MediaTek, which specializes in mobile processors that permission and they said we fully understand high-tech factories characteristic of fast-paced shipment of goods and we won't create obstacles 
for the pace of their exports. Taiwan's government has its own control mechanism mechanisms, uh, which is independent from the way the U.S. looks at a given situation. But outside of Taiwan, the situation is still grim for ZTE. The company has all but shut down in the wake of the government-issued ban, and uh, as a result of the denial order, the major operating activities of the company have ceased. Uh, that's according to ZTE in its exchange filings. They said, as for now, the company maintains sufficient cash and strictly adheres to its commercial obligations subject to compliance with laws and regulations. The company has maintained some staff in order to fight the ban. Uh, It is talking with the U.S. in order to facilitate the modification or reversal of the denial order by the U.S. government and forge a positive outcome in the development of matters. Uh, Speaking on the sidelines of the Google I.O. developer conference, one Google executive said the situation was, quote, bad for Android. Next up, as expected, Senate Democrats on Wednesday used the Congressional Review Act to force a vote on net neutrality. The party had been pushing uh, pushing the issue for most of the year, and Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat, has amassed uh, 50 supporters in the Senate, all 48 Democrats, one independent and one Republican, as we mentioned last week, Susan Collins of Maine. Democrats will need at least one more Republican to cross the aisle to halt the FCC's repeal of net neutrality. The Congressional Review Act allows Congress to recall legislation within a 60-day period of its enactment. The FCC changes uh, the FCC's changes to net neutrality became effective last month. The vote uh, forced vote may take place as soon as the next week, and even if successful, the Senate bid would likely fail in the Republican-held House of Representatives, and most importantly, would likely fail on the desk of the president. The main goal, though, of course, is to force Democrats and Republicans to go on the record with uh, whatever side they're supporting of the issue. Democrats will likely then use those results as the fodder in the 2018 midterm elections coming up here in about six months. And uh, as this vote will likely be symbolic, FCC's chairman Ajit Pai on Thursday said June 11th will be the day his restoring Internet freedom order uh, it will repeal the existing net neutrality laws. Pai made it uh, has made it the focal point of his leadership to get rid of the Obama era rules. Uh, he said on June 11th, these necessary unnecessarily unnecessary and harmful Internet regulations will be repealed and the bipartisan light touch approach that served the online world well for nearly 20 years will be restored. Many are fighting this change, including all Democrats in the Senate, individual states, and civic rights organizations. Uh, the uh, FCC ch- uh, commissioner, Jessica Rosenworcel, disagrees with the change, and she said it's profoundly disappointing. The agency failed to listen to the American public and gave short shrift to their deeply held belief that open uh, in- Internet openness would remain uh, the law of the land. The FCC, uh, she says, is on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of the law, and the wrong side of the American people. Uh, And finally, in FCC news, the commission this week said it is considering new rules for the educational broadband service or EBS spectrum in the 2.5 gigahertz band. The FCC says much of the spectrum is unused across the U.S., particularly in rural areas. A notice of proposed rulemaking seeks comment on how to best move forward with the spectrum, particularly with respect to the licensing and how it might be used for commercial purposes. The idea is to allow more efficient and effective use of the spectrum band and to provide new opportunities for EBS-eligible entities, including rural tribal nations and the commercial entities that uh, used to obtain unused 2.5 gigahertz spectrum to facilitate improved access to next-generation wireless broadband. The agency, though, did not set a timeline for making any decisions. I just don't see how that band is going to get any traction out in, <clears throat> excuse me, in rural areas because it's just uh, way too expensive to deploy uh, a network in that frequency in rural areas and ex- 
expect people to pay for it without basically being told they have to do this if you're providing coverage in, uh, you know, normal city areas, just kind of like the old tele- telephone rules where you had to provide, uh, you know, pot service to rural areas. Yeah, I mean, anything that high, really anything over a gigahertz is kind of filler spectrum and you're you're putting in, you know, additional, uh, you know, additional capacity within a very dense area, generally a city, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, as you point out, going into an area where you're you're trying to cover a larger area with something like this is just not going to work. Um, it would be probably okay outside, uh, but as soon as you start getting into, you know, structures, you're going to have some issues here if you're talking about antennas that are far away. And maybe they're thinking of actually one of those, uh, you know, direct point-to-point systems where if you have a house... Uh, in a rural area, you've got an antenna up on a mast that's pointed right at a receiver. In that, in that case, then it's uh, then it would work. Yeah, certainly. And obviously for 5G, especially the initial 5G deployments, there's going to be a lot of that. It's going to be point-to-point stuff, fixed more fixed broadband stuff. But, uh, you know, I think it's... Um, it's a it's a valid point that uh, whether or not this actually you know is is useful is is uh, still kind of to be determined. But um, you know certainly spectrum is spectrum, and uh, having availability to it is very very necessary. AT and T admitting this week to making payments to Michael Cohen. This is the personal lawyer of President Donald Trump uh, for what AT&T called consulting purposes. The company says it hoped Cohen would provide it with information regarding regulatory reform at the FCC, corporate tax reform, and antitrust enforcement. AT&T hasn't detailed how much it paid to Cohen's company, Essential Consultants, but the estimates range between $200,000 and $600,000. Despite making the payments, the Federal Trade Commission sued to block AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner. The trial concluded only recently, and the judge is expected to announce his decision on June 12th. At the same time, the FCC has moved, of course, to kill net neutrality, which is a win for AT&T and its competitors. FCC Chairman Ajit Pai says Cohen's company never contacted the FCC regarding net neutrality issues, and AT&T insists that contact with Cohen specified uh, that no lobbying work was to be undertaken by the lawyer. Democratic senators have called for an investigation. Uh, Now, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson did send an email this week to employees shortly after this news came out with an apology uh, in saying that uh, our company has been in the headlines for the wrong reasons the last few days and our reputation has been damaged. There's no other way to say it. AT&T hiring Michael Cohen as a political consultant was a big mistake. To be clear, we did everything. Everything was done according to the law and entirely legitimate. But the fact is our past association with Cohen was a serious misjudgment. In this instance, our Washington, D.C.'s team is vetting uh, the vetting process has clearly failed and i take responsibility for that as a result stevenson said bob quinn who ran at&t's legislative affairs operations in dc will be retiring not that i uh, defend this particular uh, attorney but I, how would they have known at that time that he was going to be this you know embroiled uh, uh, you know disaster of a, a, a pr disaster so that they wouldn't have known that but on the flip side you got to remember that you know these big companies have lobbying efforts and do all kinds of stuff like this and trying to get inside information and try to sway decisions constantly. This is how this is how normal companies operated. You know, it's not real visible to the to the normal public, but this is, you know, status quo for them. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason that, uh, you know, lobbying is such a, a big business. And, you know, when you're when you're not around, um, you know, the, the say the government affairs process, you don't necessarily think about it. And to your point, it's not it's not very visible, but it, it happens uh, quite a bit. There's a lot of uh, 
you know, there's a lot of people that are in this business and a lot of people that have full-time jobs. There's full departments and teams of people at these big corporations that are making sure that the different things that they're looking for are getting done uh, so that on a, from the government standpoint, they can push forward with uh, bigger and better uh, objectives within their respective businesses. Well, Verizon has helped a small app-based service called Visible get off the ground in recent months. This according to TechCrunch. Visible is an invite-only service acting like an MVNO, and people who are invited will join. to join will be sent a SIM card that they can use along with an app to access Verizon's LTE 4G service, giving them unlimited calls uh, and messaging for $40 a month as well as unlimited data. Uh, Verizon says Visible does not throttle users and it relies on internet-based billing such as PayPal and Venmo. And for the moment, Visible is only available to unlocked iPhones. So uh, grab one of those invites if you're looking for some cheap Verizon service. In device news, just one story this week, Xiaomi announcing a handful of products in the US, including the Mi bedside lamp, the Mi LED smart bulb, and the Mi Smart Plug, all powered by Google's smart home platform. All three can be controlled through voice commands via the Google Assistant on Google Home products. The move should give the company more visibility with U.S. consumers. Uh, in 2017, the company sold an Android TV product and later a 360-degree camera through Amazon. Uh, these are the first products that, m- with more direct support for Google at its core platform. Xiaomi expects all three smart home products to reach stores later this month. In March, Xiaomi said it intends uh, to launch phones in the U.S. market as soon as this year, though it made a similar statement in the past as well. In software news, uh, Apple this week started releasing a new build of iOS 11.4 and also reminded developers that they need to use the latest tools and support the newest devices as they code their applications. According to Apple, starting July 2018, all iOS app updates must be submitted to the App Store built with the iOS 11 SDK and must support the Super Retina display of iPhone X. Uh, the company had previously said it would require iPhone 10 support by April, but apparently extended that deadline by three months. In other news, Apple is expected to announce iOS 12 as soon as next month at WWDC. Researchers from Elmscroft discovered this week that iOS 11.4 will lock the lightning port on iPhones and iPads if the device is not powered on or unlocked for a week. The function, called USB Restricted Mode, prevents data transfer via USB, though the phone can still charge the lightning cable. The discovery suggesting uh, the, the feature is meant to thwart both wrongdoers and law enforcement. In recent months, law enforcement agencies around the country have begun using a gray box to unlock and decrypt iPhones and other devices without the owner's password, pin, or fingerprint. Apple has not commented on the discovery, and it may not be a final feature in iOS 11.4. Yeah, I feel like they won't have this quite yet, but if they do implement this, why is it a week and why isn't it just an option the user can turn on? Say, just turn this on because I don't know um, that many people that connect their computer to their iPhone at all. I mean, it's used for charging with the lightning port, but I just don't see that much use for syncing and computer connections. So have it off by default and then turn it on when you need it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the... I'm sure this is kind of how the process went. They, there was probably that conversation that happened and then someone said, well, but you might have somebody who forgets their password or something and ultimately can't then access the port and is is out of luck if they're trying to do, you know, to reset the phone, right? Right, but you're basically out of luck then anyways. Uh, and I guess, you know, you could wait for, what, what, I mean, how, how do you do it then if you can't reset the phone without that unless there's some sort of reset command, which... 
you could send via the USB port still. I don't, I, I don't know. There's all kinds of questions here that uh, we, we do not know the answer to. Can't you just put the phone in, in DFU mode and then plug it into a computer and, uh, and go from there? I mean, Probably, because then yeah. I don't know if you can access the data on it in DFU mode or not. So I, I don't know. I guess the point is, is that if you can't, if you can't turn it on or if you can't connect it to a computer and you're in that type of position, then you're, you know, you're, you're kind of out of luck if you can't get into the phone. I mean, there's, there, there, there are, what do you do? Like that, I guess that's what my point is. And I, so I don't know, and, and maybe there's just too much, uh, too much risk in doing that. Too many bricked phones, uh, that they, they don't want it, that to be the case. Um, you also kind of have to imagine that there's some way around this. Uh, you know, if they're saying it's, if it's a software thing, there's gotta be some way that Apple can force this to happen. Um, but, um, it, at the very least, if this is indeed the case, uh, it is very interesting that Apple is at least, you know, playing around with this concept, this idea of locking the phone down so that people can't, uh, they can't plug it in. Um, and again, both wrongdoers and law enforcement, right? So that you could be ultra private and ultra secure in, uh, what gets, uh, what gets pulled off your phone if you, if it gets uh, taken out of your hands. Uh, next up, uh, Google updating Gmail for iOS this week with several new features. Users can now send and request money as an attachment with Google Pay. Google says the feature supports sending money to anyone with an email address. The app also gains a snooze button to put off emails for later. Google announcing the snooze feature with its major redesign last month. Gmail for iOS is free to download from the iTunes App Store. YouTube rolling out support for HDR video playback on the iPhone X. The latest version of the YouTube app adds the feature, which uh, needs to be toggled on in the settings menu. The iPhone X is the first iPhone capable of playing HDR video on YouTube, and the higher resolution is only available when viewing video through the app. Support for Google's Android Auto expanded this week thanks to new efforts taken by both Volvo and Kenwood. Volvo plans to adopt Android Auto within its infotainment center, meaning people will be able to use Android Auto in select Volvo cars without a nearby Android phone. Volvo demonstrated this in its new XC40 Sport Utility Vehicle. Google said Volvo is already uh, working to bring support for Google Assistant and the Play Store to its in-dash system. Further, Kenwood has adopted support for a wireless Android Auto in its 2018 range of head units, meaning people who own Android phones will be able to connect via the Kenwood's latest receivers without requiring a cable. In addition to the partnerships, Google has improved the way Android Auto behaves in cars. New visual templates ensure the media apps are easier to understand and interact with from the driver's seat. Google says a new search tool lets media apps send their results directly to the dashboard when connected via Android Auto, allowing drivers to discover tracks uh, through their dashboard rather than on their phone. Uh, last, Android Auto supports support for group messaging and RCS. Within the Google Assistant, drivers can communicate with a group of friends while keeping their hands on the wheel. Google says these changes are available to car makers and app developers and will reach end users over time. Finally, in software news, Microsoft this week announcing several new mobile initiatives that pair its Windows platform with both Android and iOS devices. First is a new tool tentatively called Your Phone. It connects Android and iOS devices with a Windows 10 PC to access text messages, photos, and notifications. People will be able to perform actions such as dragging and dropping photos from their phone directly to their PC. Microsoft said it will be available via the Windows Insider program for testing in the near future. Microsoft has also updated its App Launcher app for Android devices, specifically with business customers in mind. Launcher will fall under uh, full control of the IT department and will support business uh, applications in Microsoft Intune. Businesses will be able to use the launcher to control which apps are made available to employees. 
Finally, the new timeline tool helps people move their workflow from one device to another seamlessly. So employees could be working in Word on their Android device and then pick it up where they left off on a Windows 10 PC. Timeline will be available via the Microsoft Launcher on Android phones through the Microsoft Edge browser on the iPhone and iPad. Microsoft said all of these tools and features will be available in the near future. And now, I find this pretty interesting because, you know, as a, you know, Apple user of both uh, phone and tablet and, uh, you know, Mac at home, but Windows PC at work, uh, there's a big, you know, disparity on what you can do and, and how the interaction goes. And so it would be nice if there was some sort of, you know, tie-in, uh, as they point out here with uh, this Your Phone tool on, uh, on the Windows side to be able to, as an example, send and receive text messages that come into your phone. Um, and, and hopefully that includes both text messages and iMessages. Yeah, and I'm, it, it hopefully would, but I, I wouldn't uh, hold your breath for that one. But, I, you know, I can probably see where they're going here. You know, Microsoft is kind of building a, a you know, a, more like a work platform where, you know, with their Office 365 and, you know, we've kind of seen this a little bit with the effort with the Outlook app on iOS and, and Android. But they're probably trying to, basically virtualize their home office, not home office, but their but their work office into an app where then basically wherever you're at, whether it's a Windows PC or iOS or Android device, that you've got this, uh, you know, basically same environment that you're working in. Yeah, and I, I love it. I love the idea of it. And, um, you know, I, I would, I find myself constantly using, you know, various Microsoft products on any device that I'm on, uh, you know, so the software platforms. Um, and to your point about Outlook, I mean, that just keeps getting better and better. The reliability is is very good at this point. Um, there's still some bugs, but it, you know, it's it's very very solid. Um, and I I think the this concept of being able to tie in, you know, some of these really important things, like obviously text messages. You know, that's the one thing that you know, many people still have to pick up their phones for in the middle of the day to deal with is a, is a message, um, you know, or if they're, you know, doing things and taking a photo uh, of something for a business purpose and then they want to deal with it. Um, you know, my workflow has, uh, you know, me going into iCloud. I have a, a, a browser tab pinned uh, that is iCloud photos. And so I go in there and download photos because I regularly use photos that I take at work and notifications too. I mean, it's not just text messages, but it's the other notifications that you get for the different apps on your phone. And it's nice to be able to deal with those. And, you know, if you've got your phone in your pocket and you're sitting at a desktop, you think, well, I might as well just deal with it on the big screen with the monitor and the uh, keyboard and mouse and all that. So uh, I, I love this this concept and whether or not it, it, it can fully, you know, help remotely control your phone, I think is uh, still a little bit far off. But, um, you know, it, it's, it does provide at least a level of, uh, you know, a beginning level of integration with the, the phone and, uh, and the desktop side. So I do appreciate what they're trying to do. Well, no questions today, but if you have anything for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 650-999-0524 or send email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.